Welcome to our first bonus episode. Today, we'll take a look back at the Sermon on Ehud, preached last Sunday. Well, welcome. Uh, we're uh, starting something new here. Um, <clears throat> on Sunday morning, we try the best we can to keep our sermons uh, short, 20 to 25 minutes, but a lot of times uh, as we prepare for that, there are just extra things that uh, we could talk about that we can't in order to fit it into 25 minutes. So uh, the purpose of this is uh, twofold. First of all, to give some of the extra information that we found out, but also to be able to respond to your questions that you might have either about the sermon or the application. Uh, we'll try to do this every Sunday and come back and just talk a little bit more about uh, what we talked about the previous Sunday. So, uh, Zach, last Sunday we looked at uh, Ehud. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you got to see me wearing a dress. I, I like that a lot, <laughs> actually. I liked all your little uh, knickknacks you brought up with you. So, uh, yeah, when I got home, Linda said, I'm going to buy you a kilt. And... Uh, <laughs> Tell you what, if she buys me a kilt, I will wear it once, but I will wear it. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, so there were a couple of things, Zach. Uh, I don't know if you've been following along in the devotions, but um, last week in the devotions, we talked about how the author of Judges, which I think was probably Samuel, who goes on to write... Uh, sections of first samuel he dies before the end so apparently somebody else right. one of the sons of the prophet uh finished it up but i think samuel probably wrote both joshua and judges and uh he lays out this cycle all the way back in chapter two from verse 10 to the end of the chapter and the way that cycle goes israel starts by sinning and the sin that uh, the author points at is they follow other gods. Right. That goes with um, what the Lord asked them to do was to throw out the other nations. And he specifically says, so that you don't get entangled with their gods. And then at the end of chapter 1, there's this long series of of paragraphs where it says this tribe did not drive out the nations this tribe did not drive and it just goes through all of them and says uh, they were satisfied to just live with the nations right so they start following other gods when they do God sends in that cycle an oppressor uh, the oppressor is different every time uh, sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's the king of the city-state, sometimes it's an enemy nation that comes. They oppress Israel in any number of ways. Typically, it doesn't involve Israel being thrown out of where they live, but instead it involves tribute. Uh, the nation comes in and says, give us money every year or we'll come back and we'll destroy you. Right, or occasionally they'll sweep in and they'll steal the food or the, you know, or exactly. the resources. Exactly. The third part of the cycle is that God hears Israel crying out 
and he raises up what is called here a judge. Uh, we're taking the tact of it's an avenger. It's a person who goes out and he does something to free Israel. Then Israel is free from the oppressor. And as long as the judge lives, no problem. But when the judge dies, we start cycle over again. And occasionally the cycle starts before the judge dies. <laughs> Actually it does. Uh, uh, we're going to come up to Gideon, who yeah. starts off a really good guy, and by the end of his life, he is not a good guy at all. Well, it's almost like they <clears throat> they kind of start even focusing on him, or stopped focusing on him by the end, because he's just not who he was in the beginning. Right. Why bother? Right. This guy is not following the Lord anymore. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, because this whole cycle kind of reminds me of kind of the world today too you know like it seems like we go through these these moments when people really come to god and then it seems like as a people they'll fall back away that's right that's right it's interesting you've got the jesus movement of the 60s and then people kind of fell away and then you had kind of the home study group and mm -hmm. people kind of fell away and we're at a stage where it's make or break uh we're ready for another revival we're ready uh, to turn back to God if we will do it, if we find uh, a pathway that's meaningful for the people that are alive today. So, uh, But here in Judges chapter 3, verse 12, once again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So there's the first cycle. They began to follow other gods. The Lord sent King Eglon who was leading Moab, and he goes out and he gets two other nations that Israel had actually uh, defeated when they took over Palestine, and throughout, they see a chance to come back and get their land again. So the Amalekites and the Ammonites come back, and they join with Moab. They retake the city of Jericho, and that's apparently where Eglon sets up his, his headquarters. The Lord raises up Ehud, Ehud delivers, and Israel has peace for 80 years. Um, the other thing that we kind of alluded to on Sunday morning but didn't flat out say, when it says that Israel was oppressed, typically it's not all 12 tribes. It's a number of tribes. Um, Moab sets up shop in southern Palestine. That directly affects Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. And where does Ehud come from? He's a Benjamite. Right. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. So when we start out, uh, these are the tribes that are affected. Here's where the judge comes from. Right. So it's almost like the uh, that, that friction, um, that, that oppression creates a movement, right? Yep. It, it, so, I mean, you don't see the other, the judges don't generally come from the unoppressed tribes, right? Right, right, right. right. So. Although with Deborah, it does. Okay. So that's going to be very Deborah, interesting. Right? They go to Deborah, who is all the way down in Ephraim. Right. But the king that's attacking them is all the way in the north. Right. Um, just kind of an aside... If you look at the period of the judges, 
there's the possibility that it was as much as 400 years or as little as 120 years because the judges are in different parts. Oh. So it could be that Eglon in the south and Jabin in the north happened at the very same time. Oh, or they could come one after another. So anywhere between 120 or 400 years. I don't think it was probably 400, but I think it was a little bit more than 120. Right. There was some overlapping, but it wasn't all just happening at the same time. It wasn't all just right. happening at the same time. Huh. I didn't, I've never thought of it like that. So uh, the second thing that I wanted to talk about was Ehud's left-handedness. Now, <clears throat> today... It is interesting that knowing everything that we know, by the laws of genetics, about 25% of the people should be left-handed. Right. It's more like 12%. Today? Today. And that's because even today, with as enlightened as we are, uh, we still kind of train our kids to be right-handed. Sorry, this is a really random thought, but while you were giving your sermon on Sunday, I was just sitting there thinking, why doesn't anybody raise their kid to be left-handed? Because they would have a heck of a sports career ahead of them Man, if they, they just did yeah. that. I mean, look at baseball. Some of the best pitchers are left-handed It's pitchers. always the left-handed guys. Yeah, that some the of the best boxers are left-handed right. boxers. Rocky right. was left-handed. <laughs> Southpaw? Yep, Southpaw. Yep. Southpaw. Um, so we mentioned that in, in the Hebrew language... There is actually no word for being left-handed. And what it says about Ehud is that his right hand was tied. Some commentators say that he had a deformed right hand. I don't think that's what it is. It's just that he's left-handed, and that's the only way they can convey that because there's no word for being left-handed. When you get to the Greek language... It's even more marked. <clears throat> Zach, I'm going to tell you the word for left-handed in Greek, because there is one okay. in the Greek language. And I want you to tell me the English cognate okay. that comes from that word. Okay. The Greek word for being left-handed is siniestro. What's the English word? Sinister. Absolutely sinister. And what does sinister mean? bad or it's evil it's evil it's they actually believed that if a person was left-handed they were demon possessed it was a demon that was flipping them around and making them use the wrong hand okay they had to use the left hand now i've i've preached on this in other churches and when I mentioned that, a lot of the women in the audience, they, they're elbowing their husbands, basically. Yeah, I told you so. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> um, that's interesting you say that because uh, I, so deep diving in all my, my cult stuff that I like to, to read up on to, to learn about what, you know, other people believe and everything. Um, Satanism, um, they often refer to taking the left-hand path. The, the, <laughs> they, the, the right-hand path would be to go with God, to go the Christian way, but to take the left-hand path would be to follow Satan. Wow. And so I, I thought that was pretty wild when you brought that up. That's, That's incredible. Benjamin. Ehud was a Benjamite. 
Do you know what Benjamin means? No. It's the son of my right hand. Okay. And here is Ehud, and we find out later in the book of Judges, 700 Benjamite warriors were all left-handed, coming from the tribe of the son of my right hand. Okay. Amazing. That's funny. Amazing, yeah. There's one more thing that I wanted to talk about here, and that is I kind of tipped my hat on Sunday morning and said when uh, Ehud was taken to the idols, he stops and he turns back saying, I have a secret message for the king. Um, if you didn't see Sunday morning's sermon, you, you want to go look at it because we looked at the teddy bear god of Moab. <laughs> Put up a teddy bear to kind of symbolize an idol. I think what Ehud did is in some way, shape, or form, he stood by the idol and then turned to the Moabite soldiers who were with him and said, they've given me a message for the king. Let's go back to the king and let me talk to him. They, uh, they, they went back and uh, Ehud said, I have a message for you, King Eglon. He said, uh, well, let me get the message. It says that he sent out everybody else in the room. And then scripture says, um, verse 20, Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. Now the whole passage here, Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And as King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, plunged it into the king's belly. The, the, the dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared behind the king's fat. Ehud didn't pull out the dagger. The king's bowels emptied. He was eviscerated. Right. His, his guts spill out on the floor. Um, we think, oh, we can't tell that story to our kids. Well, whenever I've preached on this, usually the kids are going, all right, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I want to see it. Why don't we preach on this more? <laughs> then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped. What the New Living Translation says is he escaped down the latrine. See, I, I thought I'd read through a window. Is it translated through a window? In it is actually a window. He climbs down the outside window. Okay. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned. They found the doors to the upstairs room locked. And they thought that he might be using the latrine in the room. So they waited. And eventually, they open the door. They find the king dead on the floor. What in the world was all this stuff about the latrine? What the text literally says is that Eglon took Ehud into a cool summer room. It's called the Room of the Summer. It is a room that is in a tower where the air kind of flows through. That's the cool. Eglon takes Ehud into what is essentially his own private bathroom. <laughs> now, 
they didn't have bathrooms like we, they didn't have indoor plumbing. What they had was a room where they could keep a chamber pot. Right. And the king would use the chamber pot and he'd leave it there and then he'd call a servant to go up and get the chamber pot and take it out and throw it away. Then he'd wash out the chamber pot, take it back up, so the room was nice and fresh, didn't smell bad. But when the king had to basically go to the bathroom, he'd go to the cool summer room, okay. and he would use the chamber pot there. Now, that wasn't the only thing he did there, because this room was not just a bathroom. It was also a room where the king would go to kind of rest. It was elevated so he'd catch the breeze on a hot day. There were plenty of those. He would just kind of be up there. And Eglon takes Ehud to his bathroom. It does not get more private than that. It does not get more <laughs> private than that. And after Ehud sneaks away, the servants are confused. They say, what's going on? Uh, they must still be talking or... Maybe uh, maybe Ehud left by the back door or climbed out the window, who knows. And uh, Eglon is still up there. Maybe he's relieving himself, they say. Um, they wait until they're confused. When they finally unlock the door, there's Eglon dead on the floor. Not that they ever would have been able to save him, but he's overly dead now. He's been laying there for a while. Well, that makes sense though. I mean, that that makes sense why they wouldn't have busted right in. Like, they would have given him time. Because who knows what's going on. Who knows what he ate last night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that probably saved Ehud's life. Oh yeah. Because yeah. had it just been a regular room. It gave him time exactly. to go ahead and get back into Israel, call the army and come back with the army. Exactly. That's cool. So it was probably hours later, and that was just enough time for Ehud to lead the army of Israel. When they got to Jericho, Jericho remembers how Israel marched around. It wasn't that long before how the walls fell down, and they said, let's not do this again. Right. <laughs> we did this once. Right. We did this once. Hey, we've enjoyed 18 years of your money. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you, you can have Jericho back. Right. <laughs> And there it goes. A couple of extra little tidbits that we just weren't able to go over on Sunday morning. Now, in the future, I want to encourage you. Do you have questions? Send them to questions at becomehope.com. And we'll try to answer those in a bonus episode after the Sunday sermon. If you have, please like, subscribe, or follow, and be sure to share it with your friends. If you have questions, send them to questions at becomehope.com. We look forward to joining you after the sermon on Shamgar to talk about some of the extras that we weren't able to fit in on Sunday morning.